0: Brand new week, whole bunch of new headlines for you here as we head into the midday with the Rural Radio Network's Midday Program. And welcome to it. I'm Dirk Christensen, along with the roundtable and all the information about what you will expect in the next couple of hours here on your Rural Radio Network station. A little foggy moist out there today. How surprised Nebraska, Susan Littlefield?
1: We had a wonderful thunderstorm this morning. And so nothing screams spring to me like a thunderstorm. So we'll take it. And it's been, it's kind of that dark gray, drizzly, bring on some more rain by Mother Nature type of day.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, it looks like we're going to get a couple that are not so bad, and then we'll be plunging right back into winter again. So there's spring.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, all during Severe Weather Awareness Week, of course. Absolutely. All
0: right, well, we uh, have a full week getting underway here, so let's find out what the Ag Team is tag-teaming on today. Tag-teaming on today.
1: You bet. Shaley's going to bring us up to date at 1219 with Keith Burns Green Cover Seed discussing results from a cover crop field day that they held last week. So some great information. Uh, earlier this morning, this will be our 1245, Governor Ricketts and Revenue Committee Chair Jim Smith posted and hosted a news conference with groups supporting the Nebraska Property Tax Cuts and Opportunities Act. So we'll have that with uh, coming up at 1245 with Bryce. And then Bryce comes back at 117. The, an Illinois farmer and chairman of the American Soybean Association talks about all the fears and discussions with soybeans and the tariffs being discussed and what that's going to mean for for agriculture, specifically our soybean producers. Mm. And that's at 117.
0: All right, all interesting listening. Thanks, and we'll uh, turn you loose, Susan. Thanks very much. Over to Jason we go. It looks like we have finally narrowed her down.
2: We have. The final four is set. Of course, KU with a memorable win yesterday in Omaha over Duke. You know, not often do games actually live up to the hype. That one. Or surprise past the hype yeah that Absolutely one was yeah, pretty I close that was a pretty good college basketball game so we'll uh, talk about the final four also the women's final four that is also just about to be set we'll give you the lowdown on that also uh, Major League Baseball season gets underway at the end of this week mm-hmm. hopefully the weather will cooperate in some parts of the country I don't know if it will but uh, it will be here. We'll touch on that. And Speaking of Husker baseball, they had to battle through some brutal conditions with Minnesota yeah. this weekend. I don't know if the temperature ever was above 45 in yeah. Lincoln for those uh, at least two out of the three games as Nebraska came up short to Minnesota. And spring football practice gets underway uh, tomorrow. Full force for the Huskers. are going with those morning practices. We will hear from head coach Scott Frost about that
0: does uh it does slow things down when you have to play baseball in a parka that's just <laughs> yes or when they're worrying
2: about their wind chill rules <laughs> when they can start the game and yeah. those are some of the
0: things they were Absolutely. dealing with
2: in lincoln uh, yeah. with the gophers
0: all right i, I just have to ask here in a word or two uh, do you have any comment on the call during the uh the game the duke kansas game did it sound even-handed to oh, you i thought so
2: now i listened to more on radio with kevin cougar than i did on the tv
3: uh, but i
0: that would make a difference. Yeah.
3: Okay. Bob Brogan on business. Tech and bank stocks are leading U.S. indexes higher. Gun maker Remington has filed for bankruptcy protection. And uh, U.S. gas prices up by $0.07 cents a gallon over the past two weeks. Those stories and more coming up in the business news today.
0: All right. All this and more coming your way today on your rural radio network station. This is Midday. Paul Perkins joins us now with a look at all this weather brought to you by Coleman Repair this time around. And we're on that roller coaster once again.
4: Yeah, it's definitely on the up and down side. We're definitely on the downside right now. Some yeah. damp and chilly weather. Across the area, upper 30s to low 40s. Most of the upper 30s in Nebraska right now. We do have some low 40s over the southeast part of Nebraska into northern Kansas. To the south of I-70 in Kansas, temperatures as warm as up around 60 as you head towards Wichita.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's uh, quite a bit colder way up north there. And I'm seeing some pretty substantial snowfall. Is that going Is that any part of this that's coming our direction?
4: Doesn't look like it. Though we could see some snow later in the week. Yeah, up to around four to seven inches of snow in the Black Hills of wow. South Dakota. So. (laughs)
0: All right. Well, here's a look at the way it looks for the next couple of hours here as we go to our Ag Weather.
4: Rain, thun- rain, thunderstorms, and fog remain possible today as an area of low pressure continues to track southern and eastern Kansas. A few of those thunderstorms may be on the strong or severe side, but right now that severe threat very low. Hail the main hazard, and that will probably be in eastern areas if we do see anything pop up to the east of Highway 281. Our temperatures today on the chilly side, about 10 to 15 degrees colder than normal. Rain will stay possible over west and southwest areas, especially early on tonight as the second area of low pressure drops in from Wyoming, but that will drop straight south into New Mexico, so that's not going to affect many of us, just the western areas. As we head towards tomorrow, some sun shines back in the forecast. High pressure will track southeast across Nebraska and clear the skies tomorrow, and temperatures start warming back to more seasonal levels. On Wednesday, we'll be in between systems, low pressure to our west and high pressure to the east. In between, we're going to get those winds out of the south, and that's going to give... Wednesday, our warmest day of the next seven days, with many of us seeing temperatures up around 70. Rain and snow back in the forecast for Wednesday night into the Easter weekend with a couple of systems passing through and the passage of a front that actually packs some arctic air. Something to watch with these systems later in the week into the Easter weekend is that arctic air will continue to build to the north and that will keep our temperatures on the chilly side for this time of year. One forecast model even suggesting measurable and plowable snow for Thursday on into Easter. Dirk, not sure if there's a song about a white Easter, but we may have to invent one this year. Maybe
0: we could. Yeah, let's, let's do that right away. There's probably lots of residuals for years to come on that.
4: Probably not going to be a big seller when it comes yeah, to Easter and snow.
0: It depends <laughs> on who sings it. It's not going to be me. I can say that.
4: In the long term, temperatures in Nebraska and Kansas should remain cooler than normal this weekend through at least... The first eight days of April hopefully doesn't keep the soil too cool for very long, so we can maybe start getting some field work done in a few weeks. Early April daytime highs in central Nebraska usually average in the upper 50s to around 60 with the average overnight lows in the low 30s. The upside is that precipitation for Nebraska and Kansas should be near normal to slightly above normal. This weekend through April 8th. Your main weather factors affecting the markets include a cool and wet pattern in the Midwest and Delta and continued dryness in central Argentina the next several days. Multiple rounds of rain and thunderstorms will affect the Mid-South, Interior Southeast, and Lower Midwest. That's going to lead to significant river rises in many areas that experienced extensive flooding. Just last month in late February, little or no precipitation will fall for at least the next 10 days across the southern high plains, where wheat crop ratings are poor in many areas. Late in the week, very cold there, expected to arrive across the northern plains and upper Midwest. We're going to get a taste of that, that very cool and wet pattern for the Midwest and Delta this week, disrupting the spring field work and early corn planting efforts. In central Argentina crop areas, only minimal weekend rain fell, and no significant rain is expected this upcoming week. The declines in both corn and soybean production continue due to the drought there across brazil no end in sight to the rainy season soil moisture is favorable for second crop corn late stage harvest and transportation issues are starting to show up because of the wet weather in south brazil heavy rain this last week in the rio grande do Sul will disrupt the soybean harvest and more wet weather is forecast later this week I guess the upside of getting any snow this time of year is that it really doesn't last very long. No,
0: that is true. It goes away <laughs> pretty quick. And your ag weather brought to you by Coolman Repair. How about it's beginning to look a lot like Easter.
4: <laughs> there we go. <laughs> The grass is greening up out there, but. <laughs> yep. It'll
0: be a, a mixture of green and white here, most likely, for at least some of us as we get on through this upcoming weekend toward the Easter holiday. We'll keep you informed with everything. In fact, uh, some thunderstorm possibilities here later today, and uh, so we'll, of course, activate the KRVN Storm Center if we need to, and you'll be first to know all of
4: that. And when you need weather anytime, KRVN.com.
3: The latest Brazilian soybean harvest numbers are in, more countries are exempt from President Trump's latest tariff move, and ethanol could be another casualty in a U.S.-Chinese trade war. That's all ahead on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. I want to start off with a big thank you to Susan Littlefield, who covered my broadcast last week while I was on the markets. Also, a big welcome back to Dewey Nelson, as he takes the market share back. Now, to the news ag consultant agency, AgRules, says Brazil soybean producers finished 65% harvesting for the 2017-2018 growing season as of last Thursday. That's slightly behind the 68% that had been finished just a year ago and ahead of the 62% five-year average. In Mato Grosso State, Brazil's biggest producer of soybeans, the harvest work is 96% finished, and the neighboring Mato Grosso de Sul State work is 98% complete. The southern state of Rio Grande de Sol, where harvesting starts later, the work is only finished. Several forecasters are predicting a record soybean crop for Brazil in the 2017-2018 growing season. In the latest agriculture trade news, U.S. Representative Robert Lighthizer told the Senate Finance Committee that products from the European Union, Australia, Argentina, South Korea, and Brazil would be exempted from the tariffs on imports of steel and aluminum that went into effect March 23rd, while negotiations over other potential exemptions continue. President Trump has already exempted Canada and Mexico from the import levies for the duration of talks aimed at renegotiating the North American Free Trade Agreement. In a twist, though, the Trump administration said it might impose import quotas to prevent too much foreign metal from flooding into the U.S., the White House has also gave allies that won exemptions of May 1 deadline to negotiate satisfactory alternative means to address what the administration calls a threat to U.S. national security, resulting from its current levels of steel and aluminum imports. The announcement also left the door open for other allies that did not win exemptions, most notably Japan, to negotiate with the administration over the tariffs. President Trump went on to write that any country not listed in this proclamation with which we have a security relationship remains welcome to discuss with the U.S. an alternative way to address the threatened impairment of the national security caused by imports of steel articles from that country. To give perspective on this situation, on exemptions to the U.S. metal tariffs, more than half of the metal the U.S. imports will now be free from the announced U.S. tariffs. Finally, in the trade war that could wage between the U.S. and China, agriculture stands on the front lines. At first, many were worried that U.S. soybeans might be the first casualty, but they appear to be in the clear for the moment. Pork was next in the crosshairs and lean hog futures tumbled on Friday, but have regained some of their losses today. The next U.S. ag product that may be on the cutting block is ethanol. U.S. ethanol exports to China have been on the rise in recent months despite an existing 30% tariff imposed in January of 2017. Now, though, China has proposed adding an additional 15% tariff to ethanol. This is the second blow to come to U.S. ethanol after the fierce domestic fight continues on the renewable fuel standard. Neilish Naruker, a biofuels analyst with Clearview Energy Partners, says the ethanol industry has been looking to overcome and reverse barriers that some of their largest markets have adopted in 2017, and this is not the direction they were looking for things to go. On the flip side, China's tariff would likely make it impossible to meet its own ambitious target to blend 10% ethanol into nationwide gasoline supplies by 2020. China currently blends only about 2 to 2.5% of its gasoline supplies with ethanol. This leaves China in an interesting position. On one hand, they're trying to show they disapprove of the tariffs and current trade atmosphere. On the other hand, they have few options that will leave them the ability to meet their goals on renewable energy. I'm Clay Patton. Keep a straight row and keep listening to the Rural Radio Network.
5: Taking a closer look at what works and what doesn't with cover crops. I'm Shaylee Peters, joining you now on the Rural Radio Network. I had a chance last week to attend our Cover Crop Field Day in Central Nebraska. The Central Platte NRD, as well as Nebraska Extension, co-hosted the Field Day. I had a chance to catch up with Keith Burns of Green Cover Seed. He was one of the main speakers and also worked with the farmer in regards to what was planted out there. Here Burns talks a little bit about what their goal was with what they planted out in this field.
6: Yeah, when we started designing the mixes for this field, we we wanted to look at a lot of different things because we really didn't know what would work well. Uh, so we've got kind of a little bit of everything out here. We've got cool season grasses, we've got cool season broadleaves, and uh, we've got some warm season broadleaves as well. And uh, we put them into different mixes so that we could kind of look to see how they would grow together. And uh, and what we saw is, you know, some things emerged better out of the soil. Some things survived in the shade better. Some things grew well after harvest. And then, you know, as as we saw here today, there's there's still a few things alive out here yet, some of the clovers and the rye and the ryegrass. So we just kind of wanted to look at everything and see what would work. And, and that way we can, uh, you know, next year when we do this again, instead of trying, you know, 30 different things, we'll probably focus on, you know the twelve or fifteen things that work the best
5: I know in visiting with the farmer that owns this place here, I asked him ahead of time, what would you put out here, and he laughed, and he said, a little bit of everything. So talk about the test plots, kind of what you've seen, and then maybe what you'll be narrowing this down to, and then maybe some of the other factors that come into play, soil type, stuff like that.
6: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, a lot of it, there's going to be a number of different things at work at, at different times, so a lot of it's still going to boil down to what the farmer's goal is. If they want things to overwinter, like what we're seeing still surviving out here, then we know we have to be heavy on the cereal rye and the red clover and the hairy vetch and things like that. if they don't want that hassle to you know have to control it later on in the spring, then we can we can use things that are going to winter kill for the most part the The guys that have cattle and, and want to try to have some extra green stuff out there to graze after corn harvest. Uh, you know then some of the rapeseed and the cereal rye and things like that are are going to be a better fit so we know there's going to be a number of different things at work and so to really make the choice of what's going to be best uh, we're going to still start out with what that farmer wants to accomplish
5: great turnout today I mentioned ahead of time don't think you could have asked for better weather for a field day what was the discussion here today um, as you guys move from plot to plot
6: you know I I think curiosity is probably one word i think a lot of these people came because everybody wants us to work because it's so hard to get a good cover crop in after corn and bean harvest because it just gets so late so if we could get it going earlier on get some benefits throughout the year not have to run a machine out there after harvest and still accrue a lot of those benefits i mean that's a home run and so i think a lot of people are just curious to see what's working how it's working And uh, so, you know, we saw a lot of people out there digging through the trash and looking to see what's still alive underneath there. And it is interesting because even the things that aren't completely alive, they're still green down underneath there. And, if you know, if you were a cow out here, you could still make a pretty good living digging through the corn stalks and finding some nice green residue.
5: Again, hearing from Keith Burns with Green Cover Seed. He was one of the main speakers at a cover crop field day hosted last week by the Central Platte Natural Resources District and Nebraska Extension. He worked with the farmer on the field we were on to what exactly they would be planting out there. They planted that cover crop during the growing season. For more information on any of that, you can visit RuralRadio.com anytime. I'm Shaley Peters, and you're listening now to the Rural Radio Network.
0: It's midday on the Rural Radio Network. Time to check sports with Jason Jorgensen.
2: Hey, thanks, Derek. Well, the Final Four features favorites in Villanova, Kansas, and Michigan, along with upstart Loyola of Chicago. Regional finals ended up providing a bit of stability to a wild and upset-filled tournament with two number one seeds headlining the teams in San Antonio. Meanwhile, the ACC missed out on the Final Four for the first time since 2014 with Dukes lost to KU. Jayhawks coach Bill Self says yesterday's game was a great one to be a part of. I, I told the guys, I said, I hope you guys can have as much enjoy playing the game today as I will coaching it. And and I meant that. I, I mean, I, you know, so many times when when, when, you, when you're kind of the, the favorite uh, throughout the season, you know, the wins are relief as opposed to. As much fun, and 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 uh, and today was one of those games. The first national semifinal on Saturday starts off with Loyola against Michigan. Villanova squares off against Kansas in the nightcap. Half of the women's final four is set. Number one seeds Mississippi State and Louisville are headed to Columbus, Ohio to play each other in the national semis on Friday night. UConn, South Carolina, Notre Dame, and Oregon look to join them in the other half of the elite eight tonight. Bulldogs are in the final four for a second consecutive year. Of course, last year, no one outside of Starkville gave them much of a chance to uh, upset UConn, but that's exactly what happened. Well, and holds another spring practice tomorrow, and head coach Scott Frost talks about getting up bright and early for early morning workouts. I didn't ask the players their opinion when we moved to morning practices, but... I'm a believer in it. Listen, our, our kids will be better football players, better students, uh, and better citizens on campus when we get our work done in the morning. That's what we're trying to get done, and the guys have responded well to it. That first morning practice is set for tomorrow. The Husker baseball team was held to four hits, and their 2-0 loss to Minnesota at Hawksfield yesterday. That loss was significant. It was Nebraska's first on a Sunday since May eighth, two 2016. That was a 16-game span where the Huskers went 15-0-1 on Sundays. They're scheduled to take on Creighton tomorrow night. Stephen Curry will miss the first run of the playoffs next month because of a sprained left knee. Coach Steve Kerr ruled out the two-time MVP for the best-of-seven first run of the Western Conference playoffs. The Warriors are expected to be the number two seed. And Tiger Woods says he will play in his Washington-area tournament, benefiting his foundation this summer. It would be his first appearance since 2015. Woods has won the tournament twice since it started in 2007. He returned to competitive golf in December and has since competed in five PGA events. That is a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More midday is just ahead. You are listening to the
7: Rural Radio Network. Tonight's forecast in Nebraska, a chance of rain or snow in the west and showers ending in the eastern part of the state. The lows in the low 30s in the east to the upper 20s in the west. I'm Dave Schroeder. Governor Pete Ricketts is uniting major farm and business groups behind his tax package, despite continued uncertainty over its prospects in the legislature. Ricketts argued today that the bill offers the property tax relief that many farm, ranch, and homeowners have demanded. The Nebraska Farm Bureau says that if the measure passes in this year's session, it will withdraw its support from a campaign to place a property tax measure on the November general election ballot. The Nebraska Farm Bureau has been a major supporter of the campaign. Ricketts has said the ballot measure would cause major disruptions in state government, requiring large cuts or massive tax increases. Senator Paul Shoemaker of Columbus, a critic of the bill, says it would spend money we don't have. Lawmakers are racing to pass legislation before the session ends that would address Nebraska's prison overcrowding at a looming deadline to reduce the inmate population. Debate on a corrections package is expected to begin this week. With just 12 working days left in the session, lawmakers say they believe it's still possible to take action this year. The state's inmate population must drop from nearly 160 percent of design capacity to 140 percent by 2020 to avoid a deadline that would force officials to consider paroling all eligible inmates. The Nebraska Department of Correctional Services has faced criticism for several years because of overcrowding, understaffing, deadly riots, and inmate escapes. Senator Laura Ebke of Crete said the measures are designed to pass without controversy. The national gas price average sits at $2.61, which is a nickel more expensive than last week. Six states have seen double-digit increases, while Nebraska was right behind with the nine-cent increases. As prices soar, the Energy Information Administration reports that demand dropped to 9.3 million barrels per day as gasoline stocks dipped on the week. Kansas legislators are trying to save a Kansas law prohibiting state contractors from boycotting Israel after a federal judge blocked its enforcement. The Kansas House passed a bill today to narrow the law enacted last year so it would no longer apply to individuals or contracts worth $100,000 or less. The vote was 93 to 30 and sends the measure to the Senate. Enforcement of the law has been blocked since January. Our app puts regional, ag, national, and area news just one click away anytime. Reporting from the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder.
8: More property tax talk in the state capitol. Good afternoon to you on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Bryce Duskett reporting. Earlier this morning, Governor Pete Ricketts and Revenue Committee Chair Jim Smith hosted a press conference with groups supporting the Nebraska Property Tax Cuts and Opportunity Act, known as LB-947. Beginning this year, LB-947 provides property tax relief over a large period of time. The act restructures existing property tax credits as a new refundable ta- credit on state taxes. The restructure would prevent out-of-state landowners from receiving the credits. Finally, the proposal would cut the top individual and corporate income tax rates while providing a $10 million boost in state workforce development funds. Nebraska Governor
9: Pete Ricketts. LB-947, the Nebraska Property Tax Cuts and Opportunity Act, is the vehicle that we can achieve tax relief this year. This bill delivers major property tax relief. Together with the Property Tax Credit Relief Fund, this bill will deliver over $4.5 billion of property tax relief over the next 10 years, doubling the amount of property tax relief, more than doubling the amount of property tax relief that is coming from the state this year. It also addresses the issues with regard to our business income taxes and workforce development.
8: Property tax relief in the state of Nebraska has been discussed for years without significant action. Senator Jim Smith is spearheading the effort to pass LB-947.
10: I'd like to start out just by uh, thanking Governor Ricketts for his commitment to tax relief and his efforts to bring all these parties to the table. Uh, I am convinced we would not be at this stage if it had not been for Governor Ricketts' efforts uh, to bring these people to the table, and also to thank agriculture and business interests for their leadership and their willingness to work together for the well-being of all Nebraskans. I continue to believe the path to success is narrow, but that our hard work and cooperation on LB 947 is critical to the image and to the future of our state. LB 947 remains the best and only option that provides substantial property tax relief, the best and only option that sends pro-growth signals to our business communities, and the best and only option that does all of this in a responsible and measured way.
8: While the group celebrate LB 947 advancing out of the Revenue Committee, the elephant in the room had to be mentioned. A committee has been formed and signatures are currently being gathered on a statewide ballot initiative to reform property taxes. The group needs around 85,000 signatures and a question will be placed on the upcoming ballot regarding property tax relief. The plan would provide property tax relief through an income tax refund or credit equal to 50% of local school property taxes. Some estimate the relief would trigger over a billion dollars in property tax reductions statewide. Ag groups are behind the idea, including the Nebraska Farm Bureau. The Farm Bureau donated $100,000 to the campaign recently. But if LB-947 passes as is presented, the Farm Bureau vows that they would pull their organizational resources from the campaign. Nebraska Farm Bureau President Steve Nelson.
11: Signatures are being gathered as we speak here today on a property tax ballot measure because property tax relief has not happened. It's a ballot measure the Nebraska Farm Bureau has and continues to support. With that said, I can tell you that if LB 947, as amended by the committee, is signed into law, We have indicated to Governor Ricketts that the Nebraska Farm Bureau will divert its resources from the ballot measure and fully invest those resources to work with him, the legislature, the chambers of commerce, the education community, and others to address the way we fund public schools and the ways those funds are spent. We know that lies at the heart of the over-reliance on property taxes. The decision to act is in the Legislature's hands. If nothing happens, we're confident Nebraskans will support a property tax ballot measure. One way or another, Nebraskans will get property tax relief. As I've said, our preference is a legislative solution. LB 947 is the right solution right now. From our perspective, not voting in support of LB-947 is a vote against property tax relief.
8: There are other agriculture groups behind the yes to property tax relief ballot drive, including groups like the Nebraska pork producers, corn growers, and soybean growers. I asked the governor if those groups would pull their support from the ballot initiative if LB-947 passes.
9: So I've talked to other groups, and there are other groups who like this, and like uh, like this bill as well. I think that what we have to do is make sure we get this passed and then get everybody rallied behind what is the next step and what we can do and move past the ballot initiative.
8: Governor Ricketts now calls on the legislature to pass LB-947.
9: 947 is the way that we are going to be able to do this. And I urge all the senators in the legislature to be able to join me in getting this bill passed. And again, I want to thank Senator Smith as well for all his great work, as, as well as all the groups that are up here today.
8: Reporting from the Nebraska Innovation Campus Studio, which is powered by the Nebraska Soybean Board and brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkup, I'm Bryce Duskett on the
12: Rural Radio Network. Next, we talk with Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities, about the livestock futures trade. Joe?
13: Yeah, another uh, bad start to the week. Uh, Another week. Uh, uh, Livestock all lower. One exception, May hogs only up two cents. The rest, everything lower. Some triple-digit losses in the uh, cattle and in the feeders uh, to start out the week. Coming... uh, to some degree, we did trade lower cash at the end of the week last week. I haven't earned any trade today. We had a Catalan feed report that was negative again. However, we did start higher, but it didn't last very long. We did run up, uh, I think, a lot of short covering, uh, um, and then uh, we came into uh, some pretty good selling. We ran out of that the buyers and down we came and uh, finishing lower. Cutouts were lower at noon. Uh, which didn't help matters much, and that kept us lower the remainder of the day. So the uh, cattle and the feeders both uh, under uh, some good pressure. The hogs' uh, cash lower again, cutouts lower at noon, uh, just not finding a whole lot of good news for the hogs either. So they didn't finish all that bad. Uh, It it was all uh, less than a dollar lower, and so it wasn't all that bad. But... Not a good way to start the week, once again, lower prices.
12: Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. You can call them at 800-328-0134. Today's cattle slaughter is pegged at 117,000, 1,000 less than last Monday, same as a year ago. Hog slaughter, 458,000. That'd be 4,000 less than last Monday, but 19,000 more than one year ago. Dewey Nelson on the World Radio Network.
8: They're calling it troubling, frustrating, and a threat to farmers' livelihood. Ag groups from around the country are responding to President Donald Trump's targeting of the nation's largest trading partner. Good afternoon to you on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Bryce Dusky reporting. The president approved possible higher duties on $60 billion worth of Chinese goods in response to complaints of Beijing stealing or improperly pressuring foreign companies to hand over technology. Many ag groups and business people alike are now calling for a quick settlement after Beijing on Friday announced a $3 billion list of U.S. goods targeted for possible retaliation. Ron Moore is an Illinois farmer and the chairman of the American Soybean Association.
14: It's very troubling uh, that the easy response that China might have would be to retaliate against agricultural products and specifically soybeans as we look at it and as you mentioned, 30% of the soybeans that we raise in the United States go to China. That's more than any other, all the rest of the world combined. So it's very troubling. Um, you know, but the, the fact that China has, has, uh, continually imported soybeans over the last 10 to 15 years, uh, is, is something that is helpful, but they still, if they retaliate, they can continue to get their soybean needs from other countries.
8: How serious is this concern from your perspective? Uh, Are you hearing serious talks of retaliation? I've heard kind of mixed opinions on that because, of course, they're going to need soybeans from somewhere. Do you think they'd abandon the United States
14: like that? I think they'll look elsewhere to to get their initial purchases of soybeans that they need. Um, And, you know, obviously that's Brazil, Argentina, Paraguay, Uruguay, the South American countries. And so when they... If they have a choice, they'll go there first, and that's what our fear is, instead of of coming to the U.S. because of our, you know, our advantage we have in transportation, the advantage we have in in, um, high quality amino acid profiles for their livestock industry. There's lots of advantages to use U.S. soybeans, but, you know, if there's going to be a trade war, people are going to, the Chinese are going to look somewhere else first instead of the United States.
8: We heard recently from the U.S. Trade Chief Robert Lighthizer that essentially he understands the soybean growers' concerns, but that the United States cannot have bad trade just because of soybean growers. What is your take on that comment?
14: Well, I, I've heard Mr. Lighthizer say that before. We've met with him twice last summer, um, specifically at that point. The, the first meeting was on NAFTA negotiations, and then the second one was on uh, you know, deals with China and those kinds of of issues um and i i know he recognizes how important agriculture is to this the, the u.s economy um but you know as as i have learned more about the things that china is doing um they're not not treating us fairly as they negotiate or as they do business with us and so um you know i i think it's it's a uh, concerning that we may have to deal with this but I certainly understand the, the administration's position on this um, you know if you continually are, are working and taking being taken advantage of why well, you kind of finally have to say this enough is enough and that's what that appears what the what the, uh, the administration is doing
8: that's Ron Moore, chairman of the American Soybean Association that we've been talking with. Now, it is important to point out that as of Monday morning, China's government said it would be open to negotiating with Washington amid the spiraling tariff disputes. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Dusky reporting.
12: A day of losses in the grains trade. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. Hard hit the hard red winter wheat. In Kansas City, as we saw some double digit losses. We're joined by John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. And what did you make of this grains trade?
15: Uh, You know, a little confusing. Last night opened up uh, above $4 on December corn and and just couldn't hang. Not a whole lot to propel it higher right now. I think the grain stocks numbers, the end of the quarter, the fact that markets like copper and, you know, sugar, and some of these more leading commodity markets are really taking it on the chin the last two weeks, and again did today, I think are kind of hanging on the trade. If we get some turnaround in more of the macro space, I, I, I look for, uh, for a better trade as we get to the back end of the week. But uh, once we get through this week, it'll really be more se- fundamental centric, and on, in the case of corn, I think that's very good. In the case of beans, maybe a little more negative.
12: Overall, you're going to see some more volatility the rest of the week leading up to this report, and especially maybe even into Monday.
15: Yeah, I think in a case of corn, I'd probably look for the the volatility to be a little less than we would like. I, I mean, for somebody here, I'd like to see the market shake up a little bit. These, you know, five to six cent trading ranges don't do a whole lot for me. Uh, if somebody's trying to trade the motion, but it's not a... Uh, I think on the on the breaks, you've got the acreage numbers, and you've got the South American numbers supporting. On the rally, you have a lot of grain that needs to clear here in the next two or three months that is going to help the steam of any rally. If, to get a real heavy move on corn to the upside, you got to have U.S. U.S. participation through through yield uh, uncertainty. at this point, I mean, we got a little bit of a problem in the Delta, but it's it's pretty early. Uh, the numbers I've been seeing really it's a seventy percent planted number through the middle part of May. So the, if we get if we're past the middle part of May and we don't have seventy percent of the ground nationwide, we have a hard time making or exceeding trend. I think that's where the market could, could look to do it. But with the invention of 32-row planners, it's, it's very difficult to see us having any issues unless, uh, you know, things don't change at all. But it's hard to come to the conclusion that they wouldn't.
12: Were weather forecasts the main driver to the downside in Kansas City hard red winter wheat?
15: Well, I think so. I mean, I think the KC Wheat story is volatile, and that's where your volatile. Volatility is right now. Uh, you know, again, similar corn when we rally. You know, producers sound like they're going to have a crop. They're going to sell it in any breaks. They're going to balance it off the global markets that are trading very well. Uh, I don't look for the reports this Friday or this Thursday, rather, to be friendly for wheat. What you, need, what you want to be bullish for wheat is really next week because we're going to get conditions numbers to start to come out. And then the WASD where we're going to get actual yield estimates, uh, those will be, I think, where you want to be long, specifically corn and wheat, as uh, we're going to get good numbers out of that WASD report.
12: John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels
5: Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to DanielsAgMarketing.com. I'm Dewey Nelson.